Welcome citizens, you're listening to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Here, thinkers and doers always have a key to the city. The mayor is in, so office hours start now. That's right. Hi, at Top City Hall in the mayor's office. New Amsterdam Radio starts now. It is a nice and breezy day here in the city for creative. How's everyone doing? What are you working on? Please let me know. I always want to know what you're working on. As for me, it's a personal project. I'm working on getting more sleep, man. I do a lot. and I realize I got to make sure I put time aside to recharge because you can't pour from an empty cup. You can't charge a cell phone with an empty battery, etc., etc., etc. So definitely as we roll into fall 2021, my goal is to do more sleeping. NewAmsterdam.com, KNWAmsterdam.com. That's the website you want to hit up if you want to know more about this show and all the other shows in the New Amsterdam Network. And if you want to support the homie and buy a t-shirt, I have two New Amsterdam exclusive designs at flobito.threadless.com. That's F-L-O-B-I-T-O.threadless.com. I have other designs for other shows I'm working on as well. Flobito tonight for the What's Up Flow After Hours crew and more. Make sure you hit that up at your leisure. You can put this podcast playing and open a new tab and check out the store at flowbeatdale.threadless.com and still listen to today's guests. See, I'm all about being fashion forward. That's why I have myself a t-shirt shop at flowbeatdale.threadless.com. But my guest today has done more than that. Monty Holland and the Taeyang Collection is a fantastic story. Not so much of the high-quality garments, because those exist, and those are table stakes nowadays, but the story behind it, having the drive and the grit and determination to really delve deep into something that gives you joy, a passion, if you will, is something I cannot be more excited to share with you. So, without any more further ado, my chat with Monty Holland. Welcome back to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. It is I, the mayor, Flobo Boys, in the mayor's office, hanging with those who are thinking and doing. And my guest today is doing all that and more fashion forward. Probably here to give me some tips on how I look extra special on my gigs. Please welcome Monty Holland. How's it going, sir? It's going well, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Man, you know, there's a lot of pressure to be sharply dressed when you're in fashion, but you hit it. <laughs> it's already Monday, baby. It's Monday, man. Listen. I believe in, uh, you know, get up, get dressed, and get involved, man. Yeah, man. Did you ever think that fashion would always be the path or something you fell into? You know, it was, some, it was one of those things where as an as a inner city kid growing up, I've always, I always knew I wanted to do it, but I just didn't know, you know, how to do it, didn't know the path. Yeah. It found me, and uh, I decided to take that leap. And, and by inner city, we were talking beforehand, you're from Detroit, the Detroit area. Uh, how did that city influence your outlook on life and your perspective? Oh, my goodness. Well, I am born and raised in the city of Detroit. And um, I always had a passion for fashion. I would see, you know, my mom dress. I would see my coaches dress nicely. I would see, you know, teachers dress nicely, administrators. And I knew that in some way, shape, or form, I just wanted to dress like that. And to take it even further, I knew that I wanted to influence what people were wearing. I just didn't know how to get into it. So, you know, Detroit influenced me uh, deeply with regard to, you know, uh, getting ultimately getting to this path. You know, I, Motown, I would see yeah. 
guys on TV, man, Temptation, Smokey Robinson, all those guys. And say, yeah. man, even as a little kid, that's a hot suit. You know, I don't know if I can ever wear one, but I want to look like that at one point. Yeah, they, they were flashy, man, doing the, the dancing in synchronization. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> was I wasn't so much interested in the dancing moves, but the looks I could appreciate. Yeah. Is it true what they say that having the right suit makes you feel like a million dollars? Like the, the one that you find that chooses you? <laughs> you know what? Not just suits, but just, you know, you look good, you feel good. Look, yeah. look good, you are good. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I'm with that, man. I so I DJ weddings on the on the side. Is it really the side? It's my main source of income. So I DJ weddings, yeah. and and the suit game is all important to that because not only do you have to think of things that are fashion forward, but you don't want to repeat too often because you're in these weddings and pictures and all that. And so yeah. I've been getting into the game, but I just feel as a kid from Brooklyn, like there were there was men's warehouses, and you can walk in there and they'll give you one, but never felt like anything spoke to me. So the question I have for you is, man, how do you make your craft speak to your clientele? How do you make them feel like you got to get this one here today. What's, what's the, what's the secret sauce? That's a great question. I'm glad you positioned it that way as well, because we believe that our pieces speak to the customer. I mean, quite frankly, I am my customer. You know, there are celebrities and God bless them all, but, you know, they don't their own things. I only wear what I make. Uh, and you also mentioned Men's Warehouse. So Men's Warehouse and Macy's are now understanding a little bit better that they need to have product that says exactly what you said, speaks to the customer. What does that mean? It means giving them a little bit more of a, a garment that is an extension of their personalities, if you will, uh, giving them something that they aspire to, to, to wear, not just what these manufacturers believe they think the customer should be wearing. So mm -hmm. it may be, you know, you can see these mannequins in, 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 in my screen. This is my warehouse. These things are, are still clean and conservative, but with a twist. I like to say our garment is where custom meets ready to wear. Yeah. We'll have those little fashion uh, characteristics that are a little different. Maybe it's a contrast stitching. Maybe it's a, a more beautifully designed button. Maybe it's a DB vest, double-breasted vest on a single-breasted jacket. Maybe it's a really smooth, uh, brighter blue versus a traditional you know, Navy that you, you see all over the place. So yeah. we, we give you that individual special look if you yeah, I, I mentioned that just a, just a second ago because I remember the olden days of going to suit stores and there really was a wall of grays. And, and if you want to be fancy, you need a lighter gray. But you're right. There seems to be a trend almost shifting to making sure there is representation through all different designers and all different looks at Macy's where your collection is featured, at Men's Warehouse where your collection is featured. I mean, what was that like? Sitting down with these buyers and saying, hey, look, this is the new edge. This is what we're looking for. This is what the customers want. Very... It was a very strange or, or a very new uh, uh, situation for me because I'm, I'm such a hustler. I was used to the specialty store business where I had to put together a, a collection and I had to deal with these individual mom and pop type stores. Boom, show it to them, explain to them the, the, you know, what the DNA, what the soul of this collection is. And they, you know, they tend to get it. And, and I had done it for so long. They understood it most yeah. of Specialty stores understood it. And the specialty store is important because that's where, you know, that uh, the hustler, the pastor, celebrities, you know, the guys mm -hmm. who stand fashion, you know, will typically go to get something hot, something fresh, something new. Well, now these big box guys are starting to understand that um, their customer is a lot 
more conscious of where he spent he or she spends their money and how they spend it. They want to yeah. they, they want to spend their money with with collections and or designers that align with their moral moral values. They want to spend money with with you know with with brands that that align with their fashion aspirations and gives them what they really want. You know, they want to, you know, feel special. They want to look special. Want to look like they're on television. They want to look, feel like a star. Yeah. You know, and, and now that they understand that I had to sit down and explain to them that that's who we are. That's what I do. And this is why it's important to you all. And this can fill a white space on your floor. We are different from what you have, but your customer has been looking for it. Once you give it to them, you're going to see something that all brick and mortar stores are struggling with right now. I don't care how big or small you are. All brick and mortars are struggling with foot traffic. You're going to see foot traffic increase. You're going to see the multiple purchase because all of our pieces are interchangeable. Well, most of them are interchangeable. Piece A can tie into piece B, piece B to piece C, and so on. So, and then you're also going to create excitement. Fashion should be exciting. It should be something that you, you know, look forward to, uh, to doing, to putting on. Yeah. And that's what we uh, offered. And once they understood it and heard it, they said they jumped right on it. I did a talkie thing where we, you know, had, I had one of my nephews put on a piece and he twisted out seven, eight different looks with just two pieces. And they said, oh, wow. Real simple, real clean, but they loved it. Let's take a step back. Because you said you always had the passion for fashion. Not going to yeah. deny that because when something, when a gift hits you, your gift hits you hard. But there has to be a decision where you go, I have the knowledge, I have the expertise, I've been doing things for my friends. The next jump is going to business. What made you decide that this is your idea to share your passion with others? Well, I, there's a couple of answers to that, but I'm going to start with the real simple. <laughs> I decided... Uh, I had left education and I went to corporate America. I was working for Pfizer Pharmaceuticals where we launched that little blue pill. I was doing Never heard of Actually, it. Arguably top one, two, three in the country with that little blue pill. I was doing great. But at this time, I, I, I was uh, using my little hustle, if you will, on my hobby of custom clothing, making pieces for people and, you know, doing all right. Yeah. So I, I learned a little bit more about business and and larger dollar amounts and the financing of it worked while working at Pfizer. So I said, I wonder if I could turn this into a business. I then took that and decided to go to a trade show. There's a trade show called the magic show held two times a year in Las Vegas, August and in February. And that's where the whole fashion industry lands at one place at one time. Everybody from the celebrities who have clothing lines to the manufacturers, to the fabric mills, to the buyers from specialty and as well as big box stores, they come there, see these lines, and they write orders if they if they want it. Mm-hmm. I went to the show two times, walked the show, observed the show, and said, "I could do this. My my things look as good as some of these things on these." Uh, in the, the recon, <laughs> yeah, I did my little recon, my Marine Corps recon, and and it uh you know, and I said I could do this. So I took a year to do that, two different yeah. times. And I was in Las Vegas. I was a young man, so I kicked it a little bit as well. Hey. <laughs> You know, I let my hair down a little bit. And, uh, so on that third time, I said, I'm going to go and I'm going to actually present. Now, I did all this without knowing how much it cost. So I decided to, uh, to buy a booth, the smallest booth at the show. Everything included was a 10 by 10 soft cloth booth. 
it was about it was about ten thousand dollars. Wow. And then I had to pay for myself to come, for my buddies to come. I pulled 14 or so suits from my closet uh, and made a little makeshift flyer. And I gave each one of my buddies who could fit my suit, you know, a suit to kind of walk around in and pass out the flyers. So we're setting up on that day. It took us 10, 15 minutes because I saw we had was a 10 by 10, one rolling rack. And, you know, my guys. Show kicks off. Right down the hall from me was Steve Harvey's booth. He had a booth with a second story in it. You know, show from upstairs and upstairs the booth. Had, yeah, that was his booth, and he had probably this many mannequins in it. And I'm like, wow, how am I going to compete with that? So anyway, on day one, my guys are walking around passing out these flyers. Now, keep in mind, I'm not uh, trained in this. I don't draw. I don't sew. I didn't go to fashion school. I just know that what I do is, in my opinion, hot. I want to see if the, if the market thinks it's hot. So I got yeah. booth. I'm 15, 20,000 in because of flights, hotel, the booths. I just see what happens. First day of the show, one of my guys comes back to me and says, man, Steve Harvey just stopped me, man. He wants to come and meet you. No sooner did he say that I looked up. Steve's walking towards me, towards my booth with his whole crew. Oh, wow. Walking to my booth. He pulls me to the side. says, man, I like what you're doing. I like your stuff. I just licensed my stuff to, you know, these guys out of New York. And uh, maybe you and I should talk about how we can connect. You help me, you know, fire this line off, get it hot. You make it look more like what yours, what yours is. And I can introduce you to these guys who license my name and maybe we can help you distribute your product. Now, between me and you and your yeah. lip, I didn't know what the hell licensing meant. But True. I just played it off and said, okay, I'll, I'll come and holler at you at the end of the show. Show ends. We're walking towards his booth and... There's a lot of things going on in his book. They're packing up. We packed up in 10, 15 minutes. We're leaving. <laughs> He's sitting down talking to a gentleman, and the people, the 15 or so people in his booth are packing. So I said, well, you know, he probably didn't really mean it. I'm just going to keep it moving. He sees me and whistles, has me come back. I come back, and he says, I want you to meet somebody, this gentleman who um, uh, was the head of this company that was licensing his brand. So I sit down, and Steve and this guy, and we're talking. Steve said, this is the guy I want you to meet. Now, right behind me are two guys real close pouring each other champagne. They were celebrating the good show. So yeah. I knew they, they must have killed it. It's a three-day show. And uh, right as this guy says to me, I hear you had a good show. I said, well, I think we did. The two guys behind me are talking. The one guy says to the other, I don't know why we're talking to this guy. We just killed it with this Steve Harvey brand. We just killed the game. This was the best show we've ever had. Now, they had been in the industry over 20 years. Mm. So it's like, oh boy, I don't know how I want to answer this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause and see what happens here. But the other guy says, "Wow, we did. What did we do?" Now he says to him, "We just did 1.2." I'm thinking, now, I'm not a mathematician, and I did go to DPS. He can't mean 1.2 billion. He means right. million. And I know what we just did. So I tell, I say to this guy, I, say, I think we did almost a million dollars. And this guy sits up in his chair and says. I'm sorry, what? We did a million dollars. Now, these two guys, they heard that. They start leaning over. They got a little closer. Yeah. Starts doing this comedic thing. He's slapping on the table. I told you he a bad boy, this, that, and the other. So this guy, there's no way you did that. He said, well, yeah, we did it. He said, you mind if I see your paper, my purchase orders? So I asked my, my assistant to come in. She gives me the purchase orders. I hand them to him. He starts to flip through them. He notices a couple of things. He notices, number one, we sold the same accounts they sold. Number two, we sold 
in a lot of cases, about as much product as they did to each store. And then number three, most importantly, we were selling wholesale, right? Now I told you earlier, I didn't really know how to price wholesale. I was, you know, I was a custom guy. I was used to making things custom. That's a little bit higher price point. Now I'm to a store, we have to sell it at a price that they can then take it and sell it and realize a proper margin. So I was selling it for what I thought I should sell it for. I didn't know. Right. So I noticed that in some cases we were selling two, three times more per garment than they were selling. He was flipping through like, nah, there's no way. So finally he just pushed back. I'm talking, we were LA, New York, Chicago, Atlanta, Houston, Detroit, all over. So he's like, no, nah, there's no way. Yeah. So I pulled him back, handed it back to my sister, and I said, what do you mean no way? He said, these guys would never pay wholesale for this because that would then mean they have to sell this stuff at Versace, Prada-esque type price points. And they wouldn't do that. I said, well, they seem pretty excited about it when they were writing it. Because as they write <laughs> this, it's not like it's a legally binding contract. They just write it. You then, you know, decide whether or not once you get the product, if you're going to ship them. You could check their credit and that type of thing. But at the end of the day, if they don't pay for it right then, you, you're on the hook. And you don't know what it is. So it could mean nothing. They could have just written it because they liked me. And that's what I think he thought. They just were writing it because I was cool and it was funny. I mean, it was a, a hot product. Yeah. He says, I tell you what. He said, why don't we let this sink in? And, and in a, you know, a week or so, we fly you to New York and we could talk about how we could find out what the real deal is. So, cool. I was still working at Pfizer, doing all right. So I'll go out, have a good time in Vegas, go back home, excited about what I had done. But I really didn't know how I was going to make this stuff or if I was going to make it. So I go to New York. He looks at it. Apparently, he had called a few of those customers that he knew much better than me because I had just met him. Right. Dealing with him for years. He says, well, apparently it means something. But again, I think they were more interested in the looks and they probably wouldn't pay this price point. But we'll, we'll try it. He said, why don't we do this? Next show, you come into the booth with us and we'll see if that happens again or how you do. And then maybe we can figure out how we can make some of it. So we didn't ship any of that meal, that close to that meal, none of it. You know, I, it didn't really bother me because you don't know what you don't, what you don't, you don't miss. Yeah. And um, I was still at Pfizer. So six months later, I go to the show, I have this much space, not even 10 by 10, in the back of Steve's booth, the big pretty booth. <laughs> I come in, they take pictures, sign autographs, Steve does his thing. They see me in the back, yo, we wanted that stuff, what happened? I said, well, here I am, write this stuff. But now I'm in there with Steve, so they thinking, yo, you with Steve, something's real about this. They write the orders. Now we're all at that same table again on day three. But those other two guys are sitting down now. Uh, How'd you do? I said, how'd you do? They tell me a number, I tell them a number. They're like, wow, pretty much the same type numbers. They couldn't, their minds were blown. Do you remember back in the day, I don't know how old you are, but do you remember the the, uh, the Bugs Bunny uh, cartoons where the coyote be chasing the roadrunner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would look at him and, he, and you could, he, he would look like a turkey or something that he wanted to eat. <laughs> right. You can see the dollar signs in their eyes like, oh boy, we got to do something with this. Yeah. So um, long story short, they decided to make 5,000 pieces from in-stock fabric that they could get for relative, you know, uh, small amounts of money. Uh, why that's important is because he was right. They were more interested in the modeling versus the fabric and they could get fabric quick that way. Meaning if you have, I don't know, 100, 200 meters of this, they can get it and um, just make, I don't know, 50 pieces of a particular piece. Mm-hmm. Took the best of the best in stock fabric, made it quickly as a favor to them because they had favor with some of the manufacturers around the world. Mm-hmm. And 
is putting it on a boat, they decide to put it on the plane. Put it on a plane, fly here quick. We can get some product in two, three weeks. So we did that. Brought 5,000 pieces in. Called those stores. Do you want this? Heck yeah, we want it. Sold all 5,000 pieces. And then the store sold all 5,000 pieces within 10 days. Sold out. That They were selling it at price points that were Versace, Gucci, Prada-esque. You know, mm-hmm. buying it for the particular price, selling it at $1,200, $1,300. So you had mega pastors, celebrities, basketball players, NFL players going to specialty stores, buying pieces where they wouldn't have gone before. They, they were usually, you know, custom guys. But yeah. now they're seeing things that they hadn't seen on the racks ever, and they were buying it. So I'm in the market and it's selling all over the country and I'm starting to see it on TV and I'm just happy. Don't know the business, but I'm happy right. out there. And, um, you know, that's how we got in the industry. But, you know, that's the upside. There's a, there's a, there's a dark side to all of that, but we're out there then. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a lot of things I wouldn't pull from because I know a lot of us sit here and think of ideas of what success looks like, but we think about what can go wrong. We go, well, I don't know who's going to buy this. Well, who, like, I'm slow. I don't know anything. And there has to be a little bit of like, I don't know, but I will press on. That's exactly what happened there. So, you know, when you went into the business full sale, were your, was your team, was your family, was your network all about it? Or they kind of like, what are you doing? You're good at this, but do something else. Like, oh, you're a veteran. How about you just go back to corporate America? What was the vibe there? The vibe there was my family, friends, homies, Pfizer. My boss thought I was absolutely crazy when I told him I was leaving Pfizer Pharmaceuticals to go be a designer. He thought I was nuts. He knew what I was making. He knew the bonuses I was getting. My friends thought I was crazy. Because remember, I was doing this for a long time. And then when I, you know, but I worked at Pfizer, so guys were thinking, ah, well, it's just a hobby. You know, he's never going to leave that job to do this full time. So then when I left Pfizer... I ended up leaving Pfizer in 2004. Oh, God. People thought I was nuts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then when we got this deal, now we had this, di- we had this partnership and they were distributing products everywhere, but I wasn't getting the money. Remember, I didn't see the money. I didn't know the business. I just was happy that I was out there. They'd shoot me a few dollars here and there when I would ask, but I didn't know what was happening. So these guys were just not doing, they weren't operating above board. I also didn't know enough about the business. I also didn't know who I should be dealing with. These guys were what you call mid-tier licensees. They mm-hmm. weren't boys. They were right in that mid-level. Meaning, you know, if I had a big box store that wanted it, they probably wouldn't have been able to handle that type of an order. That's what I mean by mid-level guys. They right. could, some of the specialty guys, barely, uh, you know, a few hundred of those guys, but, I, you know, Let's just say I ended up leaving those guys. Steve left those guys. And I had four other licensees that that didn't operate above board. Let's just say that. Right. I learned some lessons that I don't I wouldn't push that on anybody. I, that's why I always tell people I'm an open book. If they have a question, they should certainly ask me because I, while I don't know it all, and I know that I certainly know enough to help them avoid some hurdles that could be, you know, um, detrimental to their business. Uh, in some cases, it could be tragic enough to put you out of business. Um, we've had millions, millions with an S taken from mm-hmm. a, you don't, you want to talk about lessons you know, from Detroit, who's Marine Corps trained. That's yeah. a lesson. 
Yeah. Uh, if I haven't said it so already, thank you for your service. Uh, but my, my next question is about the losses and, and the victories and stuff like that. Where's Heon right now? I know there's some growth. I saw some of the videos of the tractions there. There's a good brand there. But I know you always want more. I know you just want to grow the business. Where do you see it going in the next year or so? So the, the growth is, is – is, we're doing great right now. We're doing very well, and the growth is on the right path. We're now uh, distributing in the two largest big box stores, you know, in my category – in America, which is Macy's and Men's Warehouse, and um, doing well. We're also we're on Macy's.com, we're on Men's Warehouse.com, about 50 Macy's stores right now, about 50 Men's Warehouse stores, and we're gonna be launching an all-door Men's Warehouse custom program. So I think that I think that's about 630 doors. So, you know, where you said earlier you went to a, a Men's Warehouse and they give you a tux, now you'll be able to go to a Men's Warehouse and they'll give you a Tayon custom piece uh that'll be pretty hot so as i mean fashion is slightly different but i'm a content creator and, and a lot of times there is a pressure to feed the beast to come up with fresh content all the time fashion is yeah. kind of that way right maybe even worse or, or more yes. rigorous like how does that work for you how do you look for the next trends i mean is it exhausting let me know man <laughs> it is it, it's it's but you know what if you if you if you start to do something or jump into something that you love and i'm sure you can relate to this when you jump into something that you love you never work another day in your life i know that's a, a an old school cliche old school mm -hmm. saying, it's true uh, there's some long hours you know late to bed early to rise work hard and advertise is a true statement and um i i love it so you know you have to come up with things that are hot six months eight months down the road you have to come up with looks that you think people are going to want to gravitate towards next season. I'm already designing fall 22 and I'm like, I'm already fall 22 spring 22 has already been, been ordered for both Macy's and men's warehouse. So, you know, you have to be ahead of the game. So you have to source properly. You have to, you know, Learn the game. You have to travel to different places when the, when the world opens back up. Obviously, you can move around a little bit more, but you have to surf the web, see what's hot, see what people are, are gravitating towards and, and, and always rely on your gut. That sixth sense, that little voice in your head that says, hey, man, that's fire. No matter what anybody says, mm -hmm. it's fire and you think it's going to speak to your customer base, you're probably more right than most other people who, who have an opinion that's not doing it that's not to really get involved wow so you never second guess your own touch then this never point, you know what this is what the heart says i'm gonna go for it for sure never second guess now i'm all about listening you know you you're, okay. you're stronger as as a unit but you know uh you, you're the president you have to rock with what you ultimately think is going to best fit into your your model and speak to your for sure, yeah. a little bit ahead of ahead of the curve, but fall twenty two might be right on right on point. Yeah, it's 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 far away, but you blinking is already there, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, it's already there. Uh, well, before we went live, we were talking about uh, the the main collection, Tayon collection, and also T Fusion, which is the Fusion line. So I have a question about the Fusion lines because this is something I got into real deep the other week. Other week I was looking about Coach, and they're all the Fusion lines. How they have their own outlet line, all that stuff like that. Yes. How do you approach having multiple brands under the same house? Like, what do you decide? How do you parcel out? This is more at home with T Fusion. This is more at home with the main collection price points and all that. So here's the thing, you know. Coming up, like I said, inner city Detroit, uh, one of four siblings. 
we 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 didn't have a lot of a uh, lot of money growing up. So, you know, I when I got into this game, I said, you know, it's a simple thing, but there's a lot more people with a little money than there are with a lot of money. Why can't we have something that is of high quality, a you know, a, a beautiful design at a price point? So we decided to you know, come up with this diffusion line of Tayon. That's why we call it T-Fusion. Not to mention the fact that all these other manufacturers were knocking Tayon off, made it look like uh, Tayon anyway. So I decided, like I said, the one thing I can do is learn. I learned, well, if they're going to knock us off, why not knock myself off? And those loyal customers would then come back to us and buy our diffusion lines, just like all the other big brands do. So we mm-hmm. did with that in mind. But I decided that I was going to make sure that my T-Fusion, my diffusion line would have you know, a lot of, or most of the same DNA, the same soul, the same feel of Taeyang, just with more affordable fabrics, mm. what it is. So while Taeyang is, is, is a higher wool majority, you know, uh, fabric with silks and wools and cashmere and those types of things, T-Fusion may have some wool majority synthetic. Doesn't mean it's cheap. It just means that it we can now achieve a price point that is a lot less expensive than the higher end brands. So that opens up doors for big box accounts like Burlington, K&G, TJ Maxx, other specialty stores that have a customer that says, hey man, I don't have a lot of money, but I have $225 and I need a hot hot piece. T-Fusion is, is your, is your go-to. Uh, and with the KNGs of the world and, and like I said, the Burns of the world, it fits into their model. Yeah. It, and forgive me if this sounds ignorant, but is it kind of like automobiles where like the hot stuff comes in, in Lexus and then the next year it's in Toyota to see how it works down the line? Or do you have different teams come up with concepts for each line concurrently? How does the, the idea? It, it's work? close. And I like you trying to go with, with the automobile uh, analogy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's similar, but it's... um. It's, it's, it's a similar fit. It's a, it's a similar design and look, but just like I said, uh, a more affordable yeah. fabrication. Fabrication is what, in, in the trim, the buttons and those types of things, you know, while they're still, you know, sturdy enough and, and, and of, a, of a good quality, it brings the price down uh, because you use a fabric that isn't as high as some of these more expensive fabrics. I'm learning as I go, y'all. I'm sorry. This is what it is. I love the show because I get to get with people who are just no experts in their field. But look, I got to ask you as a creative because I know this, yeah. besides the business, a lot of it is coming up with the next trends and stuff. How do you refill your cup? How do you stave off burnout? How do you get recharged? Is it like a faith thing? Is it an outside thing? What's your vibe? Well, faith is at the forefront of everything. You know, you have to believe it. You have to believe it to achieve it, man. I, I So I was the only person believing this thing for years. We've been doing this. They're going to call me everything from a newcomer to this new hot guy. And <laughs> funny to me because we've been in store since 2003. And I started dabbling in this in 1987 when I was overseas in the Marine Corps. Dang. So, so you know, now that we're in these big box stores and, and, and we're doing certain numbers, people are going to say this new guy. And it's, it's fun. Yeah. So, but, but faith and not second guessing yourself allowed me to to not burn out, allowed me to stay highly motivated and enthusiastic. And I'm as passionate now as I was way back in, in, the, in the 80s and 90s about it. So that allows me to, to stay full. 
Um, with regard to how do I stay uh, as as energetic, you know, you try to sleep, you try, <laughs> and you try to you try to you know make make it fun. I love when I go to stores and I get to dress people and and, and talk to them about what they you know their event that they're wearing it to and and stay engaged with the customers. But my my true happy place is sitting in front of fabrics and and thinking about what I could turn that fabric into touching it, feeling it, and thinking about different models and, and how this would look on an actual customer. And then when you see that come to fruition and you see the numbers, the sale throughs, without any real PR and push and, and marketing push, you 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 say, you know what? That faith and that that intestinal fortitude really does work because it really does work. The men's warehouse guy called me about a week and a half or so ago and said the marketing team from Men's Warehouse is going to be contacting you because they really want to get more involved in, in, in this Taeyeon brand. And we want to do some commercials and some voice, so all types of things, because your, your line represented 25% of our dot-com business. How the hell it did that, I don't know. There was no push. There was no campaign. There was nothing. The customers found it. They saw it. They liked it. It spoke to them. That means something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's a little bit auto thing, it, man. It, it's interesting. So in advance of this interview, I was like, oh, let me see what Tion got right available. You know what I'm saying? And it was funny. Two clicks in, I got like three tabs open. <laughs> so I might cop, pop, cop a vest or a tie after this. I'm not even lying yeah. to you, man. So I'm excited, man. I'm excited because I love to see sure. people win. You're definitely winning. If people want to follow you or connect with you online, how do they go about doing that, sir? They can connect with us on all the social media sites. That's Tion Fashion Suits. So T-A-Y-I-O-N, Fashion Suits. That's both IG as well as Facebook. And then um, you can obviously buy product at Macy's.com, Menswarehouse.com. And then if you want to find something a little bit different from what those guys have, you can go to my personal site, Tayon.com, T-A-Y-I-O-N.com. And there's some th- they go fast, so don't get mad at me. We replenish pretty quickly, but we do have product that, uh, that's not in the, big, in the uh, stores yet. Brand's so good, he put your name on it. Bam. You see what I mean? Hey, listen. I say, look, why not throw my name in it? Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much for being on the show, man. I wanted to see how you back on a future episode, because I love the fact that this is getting bigger. You're getting more of that exposure. It's well-deserved, sir. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. And I tell you what, uh, by the time we get back together, you'll see shirts, you'll see ties, you'll see outerwear, you'll see boys. You may see ladies soon. So, yeah, there's a lot of things happening uh, currently, right now, that uh, you know, you'll see in the market here in the next couple of months. Thanks so much for listening to New Amsterdam Radio. Learn more about the show at newamsterdam.com. That's K N E W Amsterdam.com. Until next time, this city is yours. Hey there, citizens, Flobo here. You know, besides being a DJ or 
MC and an all around nice guy. I am a stand-up comedian first and foremost. In fact, my album, American For Now, is available wherever you get your music. We're talking Apple Music, we're talking iTunes, we're talking Spotify. American For Now is just a crazy take about one person's first-generation experience being in this country when it comes to taking your mom out to Memphis or serving jury duty and much, much more. The album was called American For Now, and it's by me, Global Voice. Comedy Unfiltered.